We are continuing our series of corporate identity and carrying on with the book of First Peter. And um, today we're going to be thinking about some things that are a mixed. Well, we've been talking about holy. What does it mean to be a holy community? Last um, week, and today we're going to be talking about food, about menu, about blueprints, about marks. Um, the, the catchphrase today is a spiritual house, a spiritual home. What does it mean for us to be that? I'm going to read the scriptures and then, unless, is anybody here volunteering to read? John, would you like to do it? Second chapter of First Peter, verses 1 to 10, please. Please speak to us, Lord, through your word. Amen. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God's name be blessed through the reading of his words. Amen. Peter is carrying on writing to his audience, very excited. We say that the the language is quite strong. We think that, or we read that he's sometimes straight to the point and he's very black and white, but he is very passionate because, as we said, we need to remember Peter is living his life now in the light of the resurrected Jesus and what has happened to him in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit fell into the disciples, came to the disciples and they started preaching. So we've got this passionate man who we said at the beginning that actually his life we can read, it doesn't, 
you know, with his actions, it doesn't impress us as being very, very big guy. But he has done some radical changes. And because these changes have, have, has happened, have happened in his life, he is trying now to impart them to the others. And today he's talking about, well, I'm talking about, but we, we'd be thinking about what does it mean to be a spiritual house? And there are some phrases that come to mind. Peter carries on with this analogy of the newborn. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, Well, you have been born new into this living hope. And he carries on with analogy. Then also he talks about growth. And also he talks about the spiritual house being built with living stones. And then... He carries on the analogy with expanding. We can spend hours here talking about each of those phrases. And what do they mean for the people in those days? What did it mean for people of Israel? I'm not going to bore you with that. But he's saying that that conversation that we had from the beginning of being chosen by God, set apart by God... He's carrying that through because it's so important. Because going out there, Peter is saying, it's pretty tough. And unless you've got this identity sorted out of who you are in God and who you are in relationship to one another before God, it's going to be crucial for you to live out your lives as Christians. So, one of the things that he's saying, Peter... Is crave the milk. Now, for those of you who have had children, oh, is there a story there, Hilary? Okay, I'll not embarrass Jeff. <laughs> for those of you who have had babies, it's amazing how we get the message when the child or the baby is ready for milk. Now, I've got two daughters. They're like chalk and cheese when it comes to character. Um, And they both had, I remember very vividly, that um, they had different ways of requesting for milk. I think the youngest was more noisy and more vocal and more passionate when it was time for her to have milk. And I just want to take that analogy because Peter is carrying on with saying, well, you have been born, you have been born new to this living hope, and therefore, one of the things that you ought to do is crave for this milk. Now, what does it mean to crave for the, spirit, for the pure spiritual milk in the 21st century in a very well-to-do culture like the Western culture? One of the observations is that in our spiritual journey, we can have the tendency of becoming fussy. 
in our spiritual walk, in our Christianity, we also have got the tendency to pick and choose because there's so much variety. I've said it in the past, and I still am convinced that actually the Western culture is going to give bigger account to God because we've got much more information given to us. We've been entrusted with much more information. And we all of a sudden have become this pick and choose fussy people, fussy Christians. So that's why I said earlier on we're going to talk about menus here. Because in one sense, even if Alicia wanted to have milk and I wanted to give her baked beans because that's what you have for breakfast, there was no way I could give her baked beans because she was a baby craving for milk. And what comes to mind as well is that there are things that can spoil our appetite. Not to crave for the pure spiritual milk. And the question that I needed to ask myself this week is, what are the things that spoil my spiritual appetite? What are the things that spoil my craving for the pure milk? Now, to expand a little bit more the idea of pure milk, pure spiritual milk, I mean, there have been different analogies that were connected with the word milk in the New Testament. And I think, personally, it's much more than the word of God. Because Peter is carrying on with the metaphor of the new birth. I think the pure milk has to do with the transformation that the good news of the gospel brings as a result of the new birth. It has to do with God's restoration of individuals, but he starts off chapter 2 about relationship with others. He talks about malice, he talks about envy, he talks about relating to others. So somehow, this urging, this craving for this pure milk of this transformation of the gospel has to be reflected somewhere. Pure milk, pure spiritual milk, has also to do with the attitude that will sustain the new life that has begun in Christ. And that's why that verse says that be sure that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to finish in the day of Jesus Christ. So this craving for milk is not only just for the word of God, because actually in chapter 1 he says that it is the word of God that brings life. But it's also longing for having this transforming grace that is in work in each and every one of us who has experienced the new birth because of what Jesus has done. So Peter is is carrying on saying, guys, it's very easy to spoil the appetite with sweets. It's very easy to spoil your appetite with a cake before the fantastic, 
pure spiritual milk of God's transforming grace. So crave for it. The other one that he talks about is the living stones. And he talks the analogy, he takes the analogy of the Old Testament and the New Testament about this capstone. But I said we're going to talk about blueprints. Because the analogy that follows there is that actually God's blueprint is different than people's blueprint. Because what God designed to be the capstone, the cornerstone, the builders put it aside, rejected, neglected. And that was the one that became the capstone. So he's talking about living stones. What does it mean for us as a corporate identity? What does it mean as individuals for us to be, each and every one of us, to be living stones? Actually, the first thing is that we comply with God's blueprint. Now, the idea of living stone is very, very personal to Peter especially. Do you remember the occasion when Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock. And on that rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not go against it. So this analogy is so important for him. It's so personal that he wants to impart it because he has experienced what does it mean to be a living stone. At the same time, it's not only complying with God's blueprint, but to be a living stone stone that is built into this spiritual house, it's a sign of unity. It's a sign where actually every single stone is significant. Every single stone that is built upon the capstone, the cornerstone, is significant. And actually, there is not only significance, but there is also purpose. God designed the church to continue with a great mandate to go and make disciples because of the news of the resurrected Jesus. So do you see what it means for people, for Peter to live as a man of a resurrected experience? Because he has seen it. He is very passionate about it. And therefore, he says, Actually, guys, it's very tough out there. I was the one who denied Christ. I was the one who did a hundred and something things, bad things. I'm doing a random number. And here I am, transformed by the grace of God. And I can testify that you can be a living stone, which is built upon the capstone according to God's 
blueprint. And those are very important things. According to God's blueprint. The danger is for Peter's crew, for Peter himself, for us, to say, well, we've been Christians for so many years. We know how this is done. Experience tells us this. Church history tells us this. And we forget that God chooses to work in this world in the way that is pleasing unto him. God chooses to use his, world, his church in this world different in the UK than he uses, him, uses the church in Albania. Or in China. You name it. Because God's blueprint is unique. We can spoil the craving for milk by doing things, perhaps not in the right order. But I just wonder as well that sometimes we can interfere with God's blueprint because we're self-sufficient. We can interfere with God's blueprint because that's how we've done it for so many years. We can restrict, we can restrain, we could, we could stop God's work coming to this community by actually a matter of preference. And yet God says by Peter, you are living stones, being built upon the capstone, which is Jesus Christ. And then the third thing that I want to stop about is, I know this is black background, um, it came with my Logos Bible software, but it's talking about something which is very, very natural here. Talking about a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've been dealing with some of these things in the past two Sundays. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It fits very well with what we've done this weekend. People of proclamation. So, what Peter is saying in chapter 2... I've divided it in three sections. That if you have encountered the new birth by God's grace, this transformation is factual. That's why he says, get rid of all the malice, all the um, beginning of chapter. Get rid of malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. This transformation is tangible. It's very clear. It's, it, it comes with a grace. It's visible. But also Peter is saying that because this transformation is happening, then of course 
Growth is unavoidable. Growth is expected. Growth happens. Because actually, we're experiencing that God is working, transforming our lives, transforming the lives of our children through the light factory, and transforming the way that we have conversations around the dinner table about Jesus being light. It transforms our mentality, transforms the way that we live as a church. It's unavoidable. Which makes then the mission of the church unstoppable. Because it's unavoidable, because it's so visible, then we come to that place of proclaiming the excellences of God. So mission is natural. It's what happens not because we've gone to an evangelism course. It's mission what happens because we've gathered together in the name of Jesus and we have experienced God's transforming grace and therefore we're able to go and share this good news. But the condition is, let's not forget the cornerstone.